Media FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operations Centre. Kaya FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice. Influential Fridays, the election special. David O'Sullivan with Kaya Setole. Kaya, let's uh, have a look at what's happening in KZN because it is very interesting what has happened. The ANC, if I look at their election support that they had provincially in KwaZulu-Natal, Last time around in 2014, 64.5%. And now, as it stands, and we've had uh, just almost two-thirds of the vote in, they're at 53%, 11% drop. That is huge. And that, for me, is probably the most surprising trend of this election so far. We're not going to call it an outcome, of course, because I think we're still only at about 65% of the voting districts having been counted. Yes. But if you look at the ANC, I mean, stemming back from 1999, they've always been on an upward trajectory in KZN, particularly because the IFP has itself been declining. The IFP has made a significant comeback in this electoral cycle, and yet even then, the, I, the IFP's own growth is still much less than the, the ANC's decline in KZN. So it is just very interesting to see that particular dynamic. And also, if you just consider perhaps, you know, KZN being seen as the ANC stronghold is probably the one um, safe province for them alongside the Eastern Cape where they've never probably had to worry about the, pos- the prospect of, you know, an electoral decline. But right now, they're actually quite marginal. And the strange thing is that if we're talking about Gauteng and you're saying 53% right now, everybody will be panicking, as it were. So I think KZN is in the same, um, is, is in the same mold right now, but I do think that they will probably still stabilize above 55%. I just cannot understand why there's been such a significant decline, though. We've seen the um, the voters have either gone to the IFP, have got a 7% increase there at 17%. The DA's got 3% of the vote there. The IFP, uh, the EFF, I should say, going from 1.85%, gone up to 8.84%, so they've gone up 7%. So the voters have gone in, in various directions. Yeah, they've gone in very in, in, in different directions and one has to then consider that perhaps it is these other political parties that have actually played a much smarter game in KZN this time around and found a way to sort of make it a more grassroots movement. Now, the key thing about KZN, of course, is that it probably doesn't enjoy the PR capital that Gauteng on the Western Cape do. So in Gauteng, we know exactly what the parties are up to because there's always these media alerts. But for a province that is as vast and as complex as KZN to navigate, you might find that actually political parties parties are doing the work on a day-to-day basis, doing the groundwork, and yet it doesn't get communicated and it doesn't get seen by the naked eye. And of course, then the electoral outcomes indicate that definitely some work has been done. I think the FF's growth from 1% to 8% is something that is massive, simply because a lot of people must acknowledge that the EFF doesn't have the financial capital enjoyed by the ANC and the DA, and it also doesn't have the legacy or even the traditional attachment capital that the AFP would have in KZN. So for them to be able to grow at such a rate, they would have had to do a lot of things very differently, a lot of things very smartly, and clearly, whatever their formula is, it has worked in that particular province. Well, two suggestions of why we've had an ANC decline. Would it be around the the personality of Jacob Zuma, no longer the president, people saying, I'm going elsewhere? Is it because of the internal party ructions in KZN? It has been tumultuous. Um, The rivalries we've seen there, 
or a combination of both, maybe? I think it's a combination of both. There is no doubt that in this entire country, there is no single person who has the draw and the pull across voters that Jacob Zuma has. Whether you like him or not, you cannot dispute that. Perhaps only Julius Malema comes close to that. So, of course, the way he was treated by the ANC over the past 18 months would have left a lot of people probably uncomfortable or unhappy with the way things panned out. Keep in mind that KZN was still the province that even way back in December 2017 in Nazareth still wanted things to be done a bit differently. They wanted their own candidate to sort of emerge from there. So now whether that then translated to KZN, ANC politicians then not being as aggressive in this electoral campaign as they usually would have been, we'll never know and they'll never obviously own up to that. But I do suspect that had Jacob Zuma remained at the forefront of the campaign down there, he has the type of appeal that would have said to a lot of people, this is a son of the soil. Ironically, this is the type of person that if he says there's a party that I'm endorsing, there's a party that I'm pushing, then people would sort of then say, let's give them one additional opportunity. But we saw that the ANC sort of tried to emasculate him out of that because they obviously felt that he was a political liability for a variety of reasons. And of course, them regarding him as a political liability was consistent with the fact that they ejected him out of office. So there'd been a contradiction to say, you'll get out of office, but then go and campaign for us. So I think the ANC took a very long time to sort of identify what was the right way to approach the Jacob Zuma phenomenon, particularly in the case at N. And clearly that sort of indecision has cost him a lot. And you saw in the very last week, Ace Mahashule and Jacob Zuma were then on the campaign trail in my hometown of Mbangini. But clearly that just came a bit too late. So I do think that upon reflection, they will probably think that they could have leveraged the capital that Jacob Zuma has in KZN to do something. And obviously the IFP and the DA and even the EFF sort of saw that as an opportunity to capitalize. Yep, they've all increased their share of the vote. That's our analysis of what's been happening in KZN, obviously of greater significance for us as Afropolitans listening to Kai FM is the issue of what's happening in Gauteng. I'll get Kai Satole to have a look at that uh, in a few minutes' time. Influential Fridays, the uh, the election edition. David O'Sullivan and Kai Satole. Kai FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operation Centre. Kai FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice. David O'Sullivan with you alongside me. I've got Kai Satole. We're at the Results Operation Centre. Votes continuing to come in slowly but surely. Trends uh, easily identifiable now. Kai and I have been uh, analysing what was happening in KwaZulu-Natal. We're going to turn our attention to what's happening here at home in our own backyard in Gauteng. And joining us, delighted to have with us uh, from Wits University, a researcher at the Society Worker and Politics Institute, Tasneem Esop is with us as well. Morning to you, Tasneem. Morning. Good to have you with us. You're getting some sleep, getting some rest, or is it all about looking at numbers? Very little, but also hard to sleep when uh, it's all going down here. Too much is going Going on now. Let's have a look at Gauteng because we have we knew that this was going to be a battle royal for the the province, and at the moment we uh, only have fifty six percent of the results captured. So I don't know to what extent we say that's too early to say, but we're seeing a trend of the ANC having dropped three percent on just on fifty percent. The DA has also dropped three percent from thirty percent down to twenty seven. The EFF has made a gain of four percent. Freedom Front Plus, coming off a very low base, has also made gains, uh, as well as some of the other smaller parties. What do you make of that trend that's developing there, Tasney? Yeah, so, I mean, 
just over 50% counted. Um, I don't think it's too early to call yet. I think it's starting to stabilize. Um, certainly the predictions such as from those from CSIR are stabilizing and we're seeing it, ANC coming in at just over 50% in the province. For me, what's interesting is the gains for the EFF. I mean, it's Gauteng, it's, the, it's urban votes, um, but also the economic hub. Uh, so they get a spread of votes from across Gauteng, which is interesting. And obviously the gain for Freedom Front Plus, which has been the big story of this election, and again in Gauteng, I mean, uh, unprecedented here too. And the growth of the Freedom Front Plus, we've, uh, as you say, we've, and I'm looking at the board now to find how they're doing nationally. And they, when we first arrived, they've, they've got uh, over 300,000 votes at the moment. Their number of uh, parliamentarians in the National Assembly will be boosted. What do you see? I think we saw in the municipal elections, the by-elections, that there was the swing towards the right, wasn't there? Yeah, a, a little bit of a swing towards the right. I think in the municipal elections, the big story was definitely the metros and the partnerships, coalitions that developed around the metros. So the DA were the big winners uh, there. So, yes, movement uh, around the centre-right, um, but certainly now we're seeing that shift to the right. Um, it's small, but it's significant if you look at who's voting and how they're gaining in this election and what the debates are that have led to that gain. So I think um, that shift right, we, we need to definitely keep an eye on. Yeah. So where are the Freedom Front Plus votes in Gauteng coming from, do you think, Kaiser Tolle? It's. I think they're coming from people who are having conversations looking at what the ANC, the DA and the EFF are saying about various issues and simply saying that, look, we just don't feel that you're representing our particular interests. And I think what you saw perhaps when you, the EFF came into parliament, a lot of people had seen politics stagnating where absolutely nobody took an interest in what happens in between the five-year period where you voted parliamentarians into power. But what the EFF did is that it sort of reinforced society to re-engage with politics, but they were also able to serve as an accountability instrument that confronted the ANC, whether wrongly or rightly. There was that form of then saying, actually, you need to be held to account on particular issues. Now, of course, if people are going to start entertaining perhaps the idea of amending the constitution in relation to the land question, what some voters might say is that, look, we also want someone to be the accountability instrument in parliament to ensure that whatever becomes the new paradigm in relation to property rights is something that can be done in a way that is actually quite sensible. So if the EFF could be that instrument of accountability representing primarily black voters, if I'm sitting at home as a white person who thinks that this idea around land expropriation is something that threatens the type of rights that I have, I'm looking at the DA. The DA just doesn't seem to have mastered the art of making the ANC accountable, even in the metros where they are. They are only there by the grace of the EFF. So nobody's seeing the DA as this opposition party that has the capacity to actually hold the ANC in check. And clearly the smaller parties have found a way to do that, being led by the EFF. And if I'm sitting at home thinking that I need something like that, I don't, um, I don't identify with the EFF ideology. Hey, let me gamble and give the, the vote to the Freedom Front class and see what it is that they can do. Yeah, so the DA is losing their conservative base, but when the, in, in the uh, lead-up to the elections, the DA was pretty confident, and I do realise that 
you take a, they're talking up their results with bags and bags of salt, but they were suggesting that they would be contenders in Gauteng to take over the province. When you look at the numbers at the moment, they are not slightly short, they're significantly short. They're 23% short. They're, they're not even in the game, are they? So that was absolute pie in the sky. I don't know if that was electoral hyperbole or just a complete misreading of the, the sentiment of their voters. What do you think, Tasneem? Maybe a bit of both. So, I mean, uh, election campaigns are always going to be that hype. You'll have people saying their government's in waiting. You'll have the DA saying they're going to take provinces. But I think they also did overvalue their stock here a little bit. Um, I think maybe given what happened in 2016, they may have thought that it was possible to get higher than this. But they've stagnated across the board. They haven't grown, and I think they need, they, they'll be doing a lot of reflection after this to see why that is um, and whether they can, where they've lost conservative voters, they can gain others. But they can't be all things to all people. They can't hold on to a conservative base and at the same time attract new black voters. It's very difficult. Uh, I think in the South African context, particularly for a party like them that seeks to even ma- create a message that says one South Africa for all, they try to be as inclusive as possible, they avoid alienating any part of society. So, of course, they don't want to say we're explicitly black or explicitly white simply because they're trying to cater to as many audiences as possible. What that tends to do is that, of course, you might be appealing to all of them in some marginal manner, but nobody says that this is the party that champions this cause that matters most to me. So if I'm sitting as a white conservative voter, I'm saying, well, actually, these are the people that have gone into bed with the EFF in order for them to get somewhere. So, of course, I am a part of the DA. I'm a conservative DA member because I could never identify with the politics of the EFF and yet the party that I gave my vote to is a party that then goes into bed with EFF. Similarly, in the way that you might see even on Twitter, a lot of people that then say, oh, the, 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 the EFF sold out by going to bed with the DM. That comes from people that say our politics are so staunchly EFF, we cannot possibly identify what the DA does. So therefore, why do we give them our votes? So I think it happens across both, spe- both spe- spectrums. So within the two parties, the DA and the EFF, you have people that are very, very extremist in their views, that are very hardcore. So of course for them, this is now saying, actually, this just doesn't make sense. And of course, if you're going to be the type of person who's a very extremist as a DA member, the closest thing that you're going to get to that form of extremism that you want to hold on to is the Freedom Front Plus. Now, how then do we anticipate this party, this uh, province actually being ruled? Um, the ANC will get uh, 50% if other parties are collaborating with one another, whether we call them coalitions or alliances. We, I presume that the, has the ship sailed, Tasnim, on the idea of the DA and EFF voting in a block uh, in in Gauteng in the provincial legislature? Yeah, unless the ANC's vote starts to dip considerably as Johannesburg and Tswane come in, it's highly unlikely at this stage that that will happen. I think in any case, if we were talking coalitions and uh, partnerships, it was it was going to be tighter or, or quite different from 2016, right? I think there's different stuff on the table now um, and politics have advanced since then, which would mean that coalitions would be discussed across a broader uh, you know, section of the parties than just uh, EFFDA. But it's looking unlikely at this stage. I must just say on the DA-EFF politics that Kaya was talking about, um, you know, where, the, where there are those EFF voters who would move away from the EFF perhaps uh, because of the DA coalition, I think the EFF is consistent in part on the political positions that they hold. Whereas the DA for me seems to be very inconsistent and undecided on a number of issues. Um, and I think that's a bigger problem for them uh, and maybe that's something that they need to clarify. And people have been saying for a long time, you need to clarify your positions on a number of key 
key issues, uh, land, BE, uh, and so on, right? So uh, so I think they need to do more of that. I'm just having a look. So you want to add that, Kai? Yeah, and I do think, I mean, w- with the DA, again, it's really this inability to articulate a particular position and then hold on to it. So even when you look at perhaps the land question, for example, the EFF was very clear on what the position was. The ANC sort of moved with the winds and then eventually gravitated towards the EFF's position, while the DA was then trying to say, oh, no, there are different ways, there are different ways of doing things. Let us talk about it. Let us negotiate it. And, of course, because the EFF made the, the conversation so extremist, what people wanted is for someone to say, this is the extremist alternative view. We are simply not entertaining this idea of, of an amendment altogether. And then people would have said, at least that is the DA's position. But right now, they seem to have fluctuated in, not because they fluctuated as a party, but because in the communication, when people do not hear an outright explicit stance on where you stand on a particular issue, then they hear different inter- iterations of it, and then they might start saying, but what is the true position? And I think for a lot of voters who are DA members, they probably don't know what the absolute position of the DA is on an issue that is that particularly sensitive. So that does become an ongoing problem for them. I think even with the BE question, I mean, I specifically remember the day they denounced BE, I interviewed, I think it was Gwen, and I said, well, on how on earth do you denounce an existing position and not have an alternative one? Because for me, what it said is that, okay, you might believe that BE is not working, but remember, DE still represents some elusive prospect of a utopia for some people. So if you're saying that you don't want it, put something else on the table, because if you don't put that, you're actually accelerating the anxiety. So now people are saying, oh, not only does the DA hate the concept of BE, but there isn't anything on the alternative, which means that they're favoring the status quo. So of course, what does it do to middle-class voters who are saying that actually BE as a concept works, maybe not the way the ANC has implemented it. And then they said, even back then, that they were working on it. They are still working on a BE policy, so nobody knows what it is. We'll continue this discussion. It is Influential Fridays, the uh, election edition. David O'Sullivan, Kaya Sitole with us, Tasneem Esop uh, from the Society Worker and Politics Institute. Can you stay with us for a couple of more minutes? You've got to go. Running off. Running off, that's fine. We're going to have a look at the Western Cape. I'll chat to Kaya Sitole about it. Tasneem, appreciate your time. I know you're going to have a a busy day analysing for the media. Uh, We'll let Tasneem Esop go. We'll uh, continue this discussion. We'll talk to some of the politicians if and when they arrive. We are expecting uh, Cyril Ramaphosa to arrive. According to his diary, he should be here around about 10 o'clock. But you know what? Uh, presidential diaries are pretty um, fluid things. Uh, if once he arrives, we'll get down onto the floor and bring you as much as we can of his discussion. Kaya FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operations Centre. Kaya FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice. We are analysing the election results. We'll bring you updates as they tick up on the big board and we'll speak to politicians if and when they come into uh, the big uh, centre here, the the rock as we call it, the results operations centre. Now, if you're just joining us, Kai and I, um, we were joined a little earlier by Tasneem Esop from Wits University. She has since left us, but we've been analysing some of the provinces and the way the voting has gone. We've had a look at KZN, we've had a look at Gauteng and now to the Western Cape where the DA was always anticipated to take, to keep control, but the DA, as we know in this election, has not done as well as it expected to do. It will hold on to power in the Western Cape, though with a reduced majority. So from 2014, where they got 59% of the vote, they're down 
almost 4% to 55. Mind you, the opposition, the ANC, is also down. And so it's to the smaller parties we look to see where the votes might have gone. The good party in particular has done well, 3%. And that's Patricia DeLille's party formed uh, at the beginning of the year. And if I take their 3% and add it to what the uh, the DA had, we almost get what we get, 58. We are then 1% off what they got the previous election. So clearly, the way they handled Patricia DeLille has hurt. Of course, it was bound to hurt. It was clumsy. It was incompetent. It was very inept. And I think even today, a lot of people still have absolutely no idea what it is that went down there. So I do think that a lot of voters who probably saw that as the DA's sort of arrogance, uh, particularly in that particular in that province, which is, you know, the type of thing that the ANC gets accused of doing throughout the country where they simply feel that their electoral power means they can just do things as they wish. The DA probably did something similar in the Western Cape, at least to some voters, and then they said, no, actually, we're not going to endorse you in, in, in this particular regard. So in that case, when you see Patricia Dill being able to get 3% of the vote, I mean, her party is barely three months old. That is quite something. That is a statement that should go out to the DA. And the DA is, seen, is, is seeing itself as a party of growth. So they've been saying that they're growing throughout the country, particularly in Gauteng. So for them, in their stronghold of the Western Cape, to have this inexplicable decline from 59% to, as it stands right now, 55% is something that requires them to actually revisit what has gone wrong. It's not a matter of the Ramaphoria stole their votes because even the ANC is down in the Western Cape. So the votes didn't go to the ANC. Might have gone to the EFF, a small, a small number of them. I seriously doubt it. I can't imagine anyone who voted the DA five years ago would suddenly find the EFF appealing now. Yeah. The politics are simply irreconcilable. So it, there is definitely a, a gain that was made by the good party under Patricia DeLille. Um, the ACDP also has actually doubled its share of the vote in the Western Cape over the past five years. So that's where they've gone to all the other parties. Yes. Just not to the, to, 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 to the ANC. Well, I'm trying to do the maths on this, and it would seem that a lot of the rats and mice parties are sharing a significant amount of, of, of vote because the ANC is down 4%. The EFF is up 2 So I might suggest that 2% of the EFF vote came from the ANC. But if I add up EFF Good, ACDP, Freedom Front Plus, uh, and try and work out if there was a consolidation of opposition parties would they have enough to unseat the DA, how would that actually work? I'm finding that I'm, I'm, I'm lost 10% and I'm presuming if I scroll further down, I might find them along with the Aljama party, the Cape party, COPE, all these other parties with their 0.4, add it all up, I might find my 10% there. So the smaller parties have hurt the bigger parties. Yeah, it's like confetti politics. You literally have to have so many scattered uh, votes across all the different parties. It's going to have quite, it, it's quite interesting what it says about the demographics and perhaps the, the behavior of the electorate in the Western Cape in that you have these particular corners or, you know, cohorts of people who just really believe in, you know, getting their voice amplified through a more common Compact structure, uh, more accessible structure than the, rather than playing in the scope of the big politics. And I think it's something that is probably quite prevalent in the Western Cape, where there's simply a lot of different parties that have some part of the vote. Unfortunately, some of them are not going to end up with seats uh, simply because there aren't enough seats in the legislature for them to actually have one or two seats allocated to them. So that Western Cape politics are just very interesting. But I think that the DA has to go back to the drawing board and find out what it is that has actually led to them losing. Some ground in what is really supposed to be their foothold. It's supposed to be the 
epicenter of them exhibiting to the rest of the country how they can govern, how they can run uh, provincial government or even the municipalities. This is just a disaster for them. Certainly, and it's uh, not as if we then have to wait for the rest of the vote to come in and whether things might change because in the Western Cape, 96, almost 97% of the results have been captured. So if it's not going to change. That's the situation we have. The DA was 55.12%. ANC almost at 29%. EFF at 4%, having doubled their support from 2%. And then the good party in their very first election getting 3%. 58,000 people voting for Patricia DeLille. But in the end, that has actually given... Uh, it's, it's, it's bitten the, uh, the Democratic Alliance on the backside. Kaya FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operation Center. Kaya FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice. Uh, we were going to talk about voter turnout patterns, but I think what's uh, significant, Kaya is that we're seeing results coming in for Gauteng. Since you and I last spoke, the ANC had, I think it was 52%. Now, uh, as more votes come in, 49.74. Look, it's still only with 58% of the vote counted so far. Significantly, though, they, it is for the first time they're below 50%. Yeah, and remember the key thing here is that as we get closer to the end, that's when the bigger metros start being counted. That's when the more cosmopolitan areas, and of course the cosmopolitan areas are the ones where the voter patterns are far less binary. They're far more diffuse as it were. And I think Freud Jivambo actually mentioned it yesterday, said, well, when you start looking at the big metros where essentially it's much easier to do an election campaign because it's an accessible area, you're going to find that there's a much uh, 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 there's a balance between really the capacity of the other political parties to infiltrate that space. So I think for me, the ANC always does very well in spaces where literally there's a traditional voter pattern and there's a traditional voter base. But in the ones where the, the electorate is far more fluid, it's a risk for them, particularly because those voters tend to have very good access to information. These are the type of people that are able to then say, actually, we're not going to endorse this particular party because of the things that we've heard and the things that we've seen. So I do think that the ANC falling below 50% is probably going to get them to start thinking and getting worried about what it might look like when all the other metros where even the DA has actually made some significant grounds either through governing with the with the EFF or even just growing its support at the municipal level because now the ANC is going to start thinking actually this might be a problem. Well, when we look at the DA's support, they've gone from 30% uh, in, during the last elections, uh, just over 30% to just over 28%. So they themselves are down on last time round. Yep. Though with, if we look at the voting map, huge sections of Tuani still to come in. Yeah. They would like, they would presume they own a bit of that. But I'm wondering how much of that might go to Freedom Front Plus because we've seen significant gains for them, not only nationally but provincially as well. They're up off a very low base. They're up uh, from 1% to 3 almost 4%. We see big purple blocks, their color being purple, on this map as well. Out on the far uh, eastern sides of, of, the, of Gauteng and on the far west as well. Yeah. So I, I'm wondering just where, of, of the white spaces we can see on this map, what voters reside in those places? That's going to be a very tricky one. And I think a, place that, uh, a big metro like Swane is always going to be a gamble. I think the ANC, even way, way back in 2016, showed us that they actually don't even understand how to engage with the voters there. We saw them trying to impose Togo Tidiza as a mayoral candidate that led to significant civil unrest out there. And I don't know if they've then learned over the past couple of years how to then re-engage with those voters and then say, we are still the party that actually 
has your best interest at heart. So I think it is definitely a risk for them. And let us face it, the same voters who voted uh, two or three or two and a half years ago in the municipal election are the same voters that are voting today. So if there was a growth for the EFF and the ANC in those constituents in those constituencies in the municipal elections, it should be replicated in the general election. Now there's an interesting um, blob of red on the Gauteng map and it is for the EFF in Marafong City. Now we can't home in on this any more precisely to find out what that particular area is but because it's the far western reaches of Gauteng that's mining town. Yes, yes, yes and remember unfortunately the great tragedy of the entire Vetvezos run area I suppose is that most of those mining towns have become dead towns simply because the minerals have run out. Now what tends to happen there is that in those particular communities you tend to find that the same type of constituency to whom the EFF appeals in particular the people are really struggling to get a foot on the economic ladder. That's where they tend to be located. So for me, it's the type of constituency that the EFF should actively and proactively go out and court. And I see when you look at a place like Merafong, it's probably an exhibition of what happens when you have a targeted approach of saying this is a community where the economic prospects are so bleak, where these people can sort of resonate with a story like Marikana. Let us go and speak to them about it. So it is part of the um, EFF strategy that has paid dividends. Well, you look at how polarized that western area of Gauteng is going to be because there is a significant huge blob of purple yeah so you've got the that's Freedom Front Plus. Oh, Freedom Front. Oh, dear God. Yeah. So how polarized is that? You've it's got very, a very interesting. big block of EFF and a big block of Freedom Front Plus both in the same area. I think I need to go and move in there. Clearly, it's a very cosmopolitan and a very diverse area. And I, I think probably we need to be able to try and figure out exactly what was it that the Freedom Front Plus did very well because they clearly targeted particular areas. As you can see, even on the right there, there's one big area where they seem to have dominated and I'm not sure what that area is I'm called. I'll tell you now. Uh, Let's see what the name's called. Lissedi. Yeah, Lissedi. So naturally, from a, from a distance, a person would say a place like Lissedi probably doesn't sound like a Freedom Front Plus stronghold. So clearly, they've done something quite different in this election, probably not as well communicated or as visible as what the big parties have done, but it's clearly paid dividends for them, and it's really created this swing that was unexpected. So the, the ANC's loss is now going to multiple avenues. It's going to the EFF, it's going to the Freedom Front Plus, and they're going to have to take a strong look at themselves. Kaya FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operation Center. Kaya FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice. David O'Sullivan and Kaya Sitole standing on the floor at the Results Operation Center. This is a special edition of Influential Fridays. And we're delighted to have with us uh, the man who speaks on behalf of the ANC, Dakota Lahuete, with us as well. Dakota, welcome. Are you getting much sleep, sir? We must admit, uh, David, but let me take this opportunity to thank you and the station for allowing us to come and speak uh, to your listeners. I must say this was one of the adrenaline-pumping, hectic election campaign I've ever had since 1994. I must tell you, uh, we did not rest enough. I think from here, one will have to go home and rest and give attention to the kids and do other conjugal responsibilities. So... It has been a hectic uh, campaign, but so far, so good. Uh, we are still awaiting a number of uh, results to be declared. In case of 10, I think it's about 1,300 VDs which are still outstanding. VD meaning voting district, yeah. Voting district in Houghton, there's about 750 still, which still needs to be declared. So, uh, But most of the other parts of the country, 
we're almost done in Northern Cape. We're done in other parts. We're just waiting for the final recall and declaration by the IEC. But secondly, on technical issues which were there, the PLC still has to sit today to get the report of how far is the IEC with their investigations or how far is the progress related to the investigations on allegations that were made of double voting of people removing the ink and so on and so forth. So we rely on the IEC in that regard because as an authority that administers elections, they are the ones who have to tell us. We are just the players like all other teams. Well, just on that issue of uh, potential voter fraud, we do know that there have been some cases reported, but how serious a problem do you believe we have, given that if anybody was or any group of people wanted to tamper with the ultimate result, they would have to double vote something like 22,000 times? Do you believe that the infringements that are being reported are significant enough to cast doubt on the overall result of these elections? Look, we don't know the veracity. That's why through the party liaison committee, we have requested the IEC to go and make an investigation. But I mean, numbers will talk. Uh, if there is a material effect on the outcome, uh, we will see. Parties will see for themselves. But so far, uh, we are not convinced that there is a serious uh, element of voter fraud. I think with all the systems we have in this country, including our election uh, management processes, we must uh, commend the IEC. It has been doing well. I mean, just on the, in the voting station. You are checked through the voters' roll. You are checked through the zip zip. You have to go get an indelible mark. I mean, this, those are three. If one fails, the other one must come in. That's right. There are a number of hoops that you got to jump through. Yeah, there are a number of things. I mean, but you know, if allegations are made, I think it will only be correct for them to be investigated because the problem is how uh, smaller parties approach it. Because I don't think it's correct. Image-wise, for our country to do what they've done, that even before results are declared, even before investigations are done, the whole press conferences, the threatening, because elections, you know, it's a very sensitive process. Because you can check from time and history in memoria all civil wars, either as a result of elections or countries fighting for control of resources. But elections has been the heart beat of all civil wars, be it in North Africa, in the Middle Africa, elsewhere in the world, that has been the problem. So in how you manage elections and uh, how you deal with grievances or challenges of election processes is very much important so that we don't become a national scan or international scan or a national embarrassment. We have an opportunity through the PLC, through the IEC to find solutions to some of the problems which may be there in the system, even to correct for the future. Okay, Kai, I know you want to have a question. I mean, on that note, I mean, uh, I know that the party signed a pledge with the IEC and there's also a party liaison committee sort of thought that anything that sort of then creates anxieties with the different political parties would have had to go through those particular systems and even when you sign the pledge, it's a pledge that says it is in our collective interest not to undermine the process. So for me, when the press conference happened, my first questions were, well, what was the pledge that was signed by these parties? Did nobody say that let us factor in this particular eventuality? Because, I mean, it's an electoral cycle, so there's always going to be some form of disputes. But I thought that the role of the PLC in particular is to then have those conversations behind closed doors before we see the type of press conference we saw yesterday. Yes, indeed, it's true. Uh, the PLC prevails. You know, it's just like uh, in a soccer match. You have teams contesting for the league. 
You have uh, the referee. In this regard, the referee is the IEC. You have the match commissioner, who we call the fourth official. In this regard, is the party licensing committee. Before you can take any matter to the FIFA court, you must exhaust those particular processes. And, and that's what we're expecting from some smaller parties to, to do. Because in the case of our uh, South African Electoral College, is that once you have a grievance which the party licensing committee and the IEC cannot resolve, you are free to go to the Electoral Court. You can sit even in the afternoon. It's an emergency court, it sits. If you are not happy with the electoral court, you can go to the constitutional court because elections, we derive, they derive its mandate from the constitution of the republic that every five years there will be elections that will be administered and run by the IC and parties will be allowed to participate as teams which are contesting the league. And as the NC were happy so far, uh, we are satisfied uh, with the process so far, uh, we are just awaiting the IC to tell us what was their finding in terms of investigations, or if not yet done, what is going to be done going forward. But so far, numbers can lie. Uh, other parties did not make it, not because of South Africans uh, don't want them. It's because to be a brand is not a chance. I mean, one of the sentiments that was uh, expressed by the smaller parties yesterday, I think it was from the PLF in particular, is that there seems to be this conspiracy where it's the big three parties that have en- entered into some unholy alliance aimed at squeezing out the smaller parties and, 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 and I don't know, to then fight them, uh, anyone though that is fighting WMC and things like that. But I would have thought that a PLC structure is something that actually then says every party has got an equal voice because literally you reset the button, so it doesn't matter that the NC was a 62% um, you know, majority party in the previous parliament. When we get here, it's literally everybody has the same voice, everybody is seen in the same way, so of course there isn't a risk of them saying, let's get into the PLC, only for the big three parties to say, there's nothing to see here, let's move on, which would then facilitate these other parties coming out screaming to say, look, the system has worked for us. I mean, I do believe that it's a, it's a, a place of neutral and equal voices. Look, uh, we must be scientific here. In our approach and other things. Our inputs in the whole election campaign is it was not the same with other parties, including small parties. Therefore you can expect the same output. Yeah, you get what uh, you can plan. Yeah. And what they got is what they have flowed. And what we have is what we have plowed. We've put that's why I was saying this was an adrenaline pumping campaign. As the NC, we had to contest against. We are 48 in the ballot, and the whole 47 wants to go for the circular vein of the NC. And it was not easy. It was not easy, I must admit. And I hope it's a lesson to many of us in the NC that we need to smell the coffee. Our people are getting sick and tired of being sick and tired of us. And the sooner we take our work serious and our responsibility, the better for us in the country. Because you create all this uh, situation of desperate uh, people who think on their own they can make it even before they are sellable. Because to be a brand, you must be sellable. You know, you can't say uh, today with Kaya Cola, you can beat Coca-Cola. Yeah. The same thing, it's not possible. Sales don't work like that, and homes don't work like that. It's the same thing. When we look at the, the tracking, the models, they're suggesting that the ANC is going to get 57%. And that was a prediction that we had from yesterday morning early. It remains very much on course for around about 57 to 58% of the votes. I know that the ANC held its own polls and got 
much the same number back when you were uh, out campaigning. Obviously, being a political party, you speak it all up. In the darker corridors of power, were you always anticipating around 57%, 58%? When you look at that number coming in, does that shock or does that confirm what the ANC was believing privately? No, it, uh, it is consistent with our internal research. Our internal research, its range was anything from 56% to 61%. So if we are at 57%, maybe later today end up at 58 or 59 it will still be within our range. If it goes even above 60 it will be a bonus for us. But so far, we are humbled as the NC by the generosity and the support of South Africans that they continue uh, bestow upon us as the NC, the trust. And I think uh, for us as the NC, it's a wake-up call that we dare not play with people's sentiments and votes. We do our work and... And, and, and I hope uh, part of the things we'll have to deal with immediately after this is to show really that uh, it was not a lip service when we campaigned that we're going to deal with corruption. It was not a lip service when we said we want to grow the economy. It was not a lip service when we said we want to uh, create more jobs, we want to get young people on the skills revolution so that we can get a lot of them employable. Because part of the problem that we have in this country is a discord between uh, what we can call structural unemployment, where you have a, a job opportunity that does not correspond with the skill need. Uh, for instance, we need welders of mega structures yeah. in this country. Almost 12,000. There's a job today for them. But we don't have the necessary skills capacity that can fill up those particular job opportunities. So we're forced to go and get Chinese, get somebody, Pakistanis, Bangladesh to come and help us when we have South Africans that we can train in the next three months to do that particular work and get them to be employable at the same time. So those are some of the things that we need to work on. The other one is the issue of the ocean economy. We have more than 3,700 kilometers of the peninsula of the sea, from the Indian to the Atlantic. But if you look at our activities there, whether it be fishing, whether it be boats building, whether it be maritime uh, construction and other activities, we, we, we are very poor. We relied largely on ports which were controlled by the naval bases, but ports being used for business purposes, we are still at a very low point. Uh, you know, we need more containers to come to our country, and some of them we don't charge them a level uh, for containers. We, in our ports of entry, more than 13 million containers every year come to and we don't charge them. I mean, if we were to charge them even a $2, it can take you to about 46 billion rand or 43 billion rand in terms of revenue. Well, we should be doing those things. Th those are things that we're working on as the ANC that we'll be trying to do to ensure that at least uh, we improve uh, the conditions of our people because we need to generate more revenue for ourselves so that we can meet our liabilities in terms of the commitments that we have made as a nation. Do you want one more question? Yeah, I, I think probably one of the things that tends to happen with an electoral cycle is that you build up all this momentum and I mean legitimately the political parties say these are the things that we want to do, these are the things that we believe in but I know historically as soon as we get the election results tomorrow everybody just breathes a sigh of relief they take the foot off the pedal and soon enough at the end of the year, we're in the second year we're starting about the next cycle and none of the promises that have actually been made are actually fulfilled. Look for us as the NC, I must admit and uh, things will never be the same again for us. We have been in power for 25 years. People are still expecting. I don't think uh, this was our final warning. Oh, this was I our final warning. And, and, and I must say, if we don't improve uh, 
course, will be against us come in two years' time when you do the local government elections. So it's, there's no evil but for us, as they see. We're being an incumbent. We need to give answers to society. Why are they unemployed? Why can't we provide education for their kids? Why can't we provide uh, an economy that grows? We have to have answers. 25 years at least, it's a period. It's a time. We can't bring a lot of excuses going to the future. We have already made commitments that we can grow the economy, we can fight corruption, we can deal with the skills revolution to get millions of African employable, we'll increase the international health insurance scheme, we'll do this. All those things are a commitment. So we can't forget, because our people, they waggle the finger at us, they point at us to say, we are giving you a chance, but please, get your house in order, and the sooner we get our house in order, the better for us, because you know, in any human relations or in any human nature weaknesses, you either shape up or ship up. We'll leave it at that comment there. Dakota, thank you very much for your time this morning, and thank you for uh, making yourself available on KFM. There'll be many more times we'll be chatting to you. Enjoy the day. No, thank you very much, uh, David, and to all our listeners. We say thank you very much uh, for turning out in your numbers to go and vote. And we hope uh, you'll do the same in future. It's your civil responsibility. It's your civil duty to vote in your country. This particular voting, it's sacrosanct because many shed their lives. Many were imprisoned. Many were exiled. Many has died. We dare not take it for granted. Thank you so much for that. Dakota Laquete from the ANC was our guest. Courier FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operations Center. Kaya FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice. Man who crunches the numbers for Daily Maverick. And I do suggest it is one of your go-to places when you're trying to get accurate, reliable information. Daily Maverick has a wonderful team of journalists and analysts who provide up-to-date, very accurate information. Wayne Sussman is uh, one of their number crunchers, a man who I have followed quite closely in the past when it comes to crunching numbers, and his accuracy is quite remarkable, and he's with us now. I, I saw you, what, yesterday, I think you were, you were here from early taking those numbers. How are you doing so far, Wayne? I had a good night's rest last night, so I'm a bit sharper today, so it's good to be here. Very good. Now, um, we got a figure from the CSIR yesterday morning, about quarter past six, saying 57% for the ANC, 21.5% for the DA, and 9.5% for the EFF. Do those numbers sound accurate to you? Before the elections, I predicted 58.25 for the ANC, 21.25 for the DA, and 10.25 for the EFF. So that does uh, might have been a bit higher on the ANC. Let's see. You, and it sounds like you're more accurate on the on the EFF because I think they are at double digits now. They're tracking for double digits. The CSIR did say that they were going to be have a one percent margin of error. So if I factor that in, they are still within their boundaries. But it sounds like you were a little bit more spot on. They've got far more talented people doing this uh, than I am, so they've done a great job, the CSR. Now, um, one of the things that Kaya Sotoli and I have been saying off-air, and I want to raise this now on-air with you, is the significance of the voter turnout. When we look at the turnout, uh, g- give me some perspective on the way I should be understanding the turnout. Let's, I'm going to use an example next to Gauteng of the Northwest, and I'm, I'm just going to put a caveat. I'm speaking under correction because I want to try to do the calculation just before I came on air, so I'm not saying that this is how it's going to turn out. Okay. But 
turnout, talking about turnout, turnout is absolutely critical. In the Northwest, we saw the Freedom Front eat into DA support significantly. So you would have thought that the DA would lose a seat to the Freedom Front. But because of the general low turnout in the population, there is a real scenario, and remember, I'm saying, I'm using a caveat that I, I might have erred in doing this calculation so quickly, that the, D, that the ANC could end up losing a seat to the Freedom Front because of them not turning out their voters to the poll. So let's see where that's going to transpire. There's still some votes coming in. So if you look at a province like the Northwest, in 2014, it was one of the lowest turnouts in the country, 66%. At the moment, it's sitting on 57%. That's significantly down. This trend continues across the country. If we look at Mpumalanga, 73% turnout in 2014, 63% at the moment. Limpopo, which uh, had the lowest turnout, uh, just above 60% in 2014, currently on 56%. So, and another good example of looking at this is KwaZulu-Natal. Because Jacob Zuma was top of the ticket in 2014, and because there was a new kid on the block, the National Freedom Party, turnout was sky high in, the, uh, in KwaZulu-Natal in uh, 2014 at 75%. Right now, we're sitting at 66%. So provincially, we see a major comeback from the IFP, but that's not really translating into a major national comeback because they are so reliant on KwaZulu-Natal. Okay, now I understand uh, the significance. So it also feeds into this false narrative that people said, well, what does my vote count? Turnout. It was all of it, just pitching up no matter who you voted for. Your presence at the polls would have a significant bearing on other things. A hundred percent. So that's why I said this morning, one of the heroes for the ANC in this election campaign is Lebohang Mayile, who ran the campaign for the ANC in Gauteng. There are a variety of opinion polls out just before the election. Uh, we don't need to discuss them now. But the ANC was at real risk of not just being below 50 percent, but 49 or 48 percent. The ANC has got their voters to the poll. And if you look at Gauteng, 73%, which is the national average in 2014, currently is just under 70%. So the voters in Gauteng came out to vote, and that is what very well might get them over the line and not have to do any deals with anyone else. Okay. Turnout is critical. Okay, Kaya? Yeah, I mean... Something. Yep, you're all on. Oh, yeah. So I think for me, you know, the issue around the turnout... A lot of people thought that the big problem for this election was going to be young people not showing up. But it appears that the sense of voter apathy and this sense of disenchantment with the whole electoral process is something that has grown across the board. I must say, I'm still surprised at how really amplified it has become in KZN because KZN, the ANC would have regarded as one of its traditional strongholds, the type of thing where you don't even need a Lebohang Maile to go and galvanize people out there. Whoever turns up will turn up and vote for the ANC. But clearly, that inability to then understand that the voter base and the electorate is not static in that, you know, people change their persuasions, people change their views over time. It's going to cost a lot of parties. And I think even if you do the numbers, you might find that a party that had the same number of, of voters as it had in 2014 finds it, itself gaining a seat simply because other people didn't show up. That's correct. So let's look at the Eastern Cape. The ANC has largely held on to its support as we stand in the Eastern Cape. Uh, they've um, come a bit down in Gauteng, but why are they ending up 
on between 57 and 58 percent. I would say it's because of the low turnout in KwaZulu-Natal. They shot the numbers out in 2014. Huge turnout, huge excitement, 75 percent turnout. You're getting considerably low turnout this time around, and I think that's one of the key reasons they're getting 57, 58 percent. Not just because the EFF have done so well or the ATMs squeeze them in a certain area. I think those are the key things. Turnout matters when it comes to political representation in Parliament. The big crisis, of course, is that if we keep these trends in relation to turnout, there might not have been half the electorate participating in the next general election. What happens now? I mean, how do we arrest this decline? This is very sad. The other thing which I'm looking at are spoilt ballots. Now, if spoilt ballots is a political party, I haven't done the, the stat this morning. Maybe you've got it there. They have 180,000 votes right now, which I think uh, parties like the ATM and the BLF might actually end <laughs> the spoiled ballots. I think they're the sixth biggest there, Wayne. They would be the sixth biggest political party. They would be giving the Freedom Front a serious run for their money. So we have to look at those voters who are showing up and saying we're not satisfied with any of the 48 parties currently in the ballot and then sadly even those who are saying we're just withdrawing um, and I'm, I share your concern we with the local government elections coming in two years time we had 58% turnout in that election what will it be in 2021? I'm sorry it's actually the fourth biggest can you believe it? Okay, it would have been, they've been the fourth biggest Kaya FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operation Centre for the 2019 national election Kaya FM 2019 election coverage. They're informed Choice. We'll be going down onto the floor. We're in our temporary studio at the moment overlooking the big floor where we've got the IEC officials, we've got all the political parties, and uh, across the way, this massive board uh, of uh, massive screen with all the provincial results, and in the center of that screen, all the national results, which are constantly flicking and updating. Uh, we will go down onto the floor, have a chat to the goods, the good parties, Patricia DeLille, in a few minutes. I've asked the Daily Mavericks analyst Wayne Sussman to stay with us just for a couple of seconds. Uh, thank you so much for that, Wayne. I did want you to, to delve a little deeper for me into Gauteng province. Uh, that is obviously where the Afropolitans who listen to Kai FM largely reside. And the, I want you to tell me about the significance of only 60, roughly 60% of uh, the results having been captured and the ANC having fallen to below 50%, the DA is also 2% down. Gains for EFF, uh, Freedom Front Plus, to some extent for the IFP as well, marginally. What trends are you picking up from Gauteng? David, Gauteng residents have two privileges. They live in the most competitive, hotly contested province, and they have Kai FM. So to... Um, <laughs> well said, Great <sir>. privileges. <laughs> so 60% of the vote is in. There is good news for ANC supporters and DA and EF supporters. There's still a lot of votes out there. Kai and I were just comparing the 2014 map with the 2019 map. There is a lot out in Soweto. There's a lot out in some of the Chwani townships, but there's also still a lot out in the suburbs. So I'm not giving you a clear-cut answer. There's also, by the way, a lot out in sparsely populated Midval, which is an area where the DA does well in. What would concern the ANC somewhat is that where they do the best in the province is in Murafong City and Carltonville. Now that vote is all in. The area where they do the second, uh, there's also Lesedi in Heidelberg where most of the vote's in. The ANC does well there. And Rand West City, which is Runfontein and um, Western, Western Area. Most of those votes are in. 
So it's all going to be about the the big cities, about the metros, and how much of that vote is still out there in the townships, and how much of the vote is still out there in the suburbs. I would say that the ANC currently on 49.5 should creep closer towards that 50 and probably just come over when the Soweto results come in, but it's still very close to call. At this stage, I'm leaning towards the ANC getting, because remember the election's all about seats. There's 73 places in that legislature in downtown Johannesburg, and the moment I'm seeing the ANC getting 37, just thereabouts. It's very close. Do you expect the DA number to change significantly, uh, 30% to uh, last time around? to 28, let's say 28 and a half now. So they, they are two percent, roughly 2% off where they were. That number, as the suburbs come in, do we expect DA support to be in the suburbs? The DA support will be in the suburbs. Let's just do a crude calculation quickly. The DA 20, um, is that 28%? Yeah, 28.44. And the Freedom Front 4%. That's a totally 32%. In 2014, they got 31% plus 1%, 32%. So unless the DA is picking up votes in the township, You'd expect that 32% between, if you understand my logic, yep. between the DA and the Freedom Front to hold. So right now, it's hard to see where else, uh, unless they're making inroads, and they did make inroads in some townships, that DA vote going up substantially. So if one compares those results, it's a significant disappointment for the DA to go from 31% and they're currently on 28%. Yeah, and I think probably for me, what really makes the situation for the DA worse is that, you know, this is the problem where they said finally we have an opportunity to actually even um, make a bid for the premiership and also you'd have thought that the momentum that they created from 2016 to say look even though they didn't win outright in the municipalities they were then given an opportunity to exhibit how they can govern so to then come back two and a half years later to then lose part of the electorate not even keeping that stable it's something that's actually going to probably horrify that year there is huge amount of pressure on mayor herman mashaba and mayor stevens mochalipa they understand now that the voters in this election have not given the DA the path and the keys to the, helped given them the keys to a scenario where they could get the keys to the Premier's residence, if the Premier even has a residence in Khartoum. I, I don't know. Uh, definitely had one in Bryanston. We all know this thanks to Angela Greasy. So... Stevens Bochalipa in Chwani and Herman Mashaba in Johannesburg have huge pressure on their shoulders. They have to show within the next two years that they, where they govern, they can govern differently like they claim in the Western Cape and the city of Cape Town. So there's a huge amount of pressure on them. Are you quite prolific on Twitter? Yes. So I'm I tell people to follow you at Wayne Sussman, and it's S-U-S-S-M-A-N, not Helen Sussman, Sussman, S-U-S-S-M-A-N. Um, and we'll check your analysis on Daily Maverick as well. Thank you so much. Wayne, it's been a pleasure having you. Wayne Sussman, who is the number cruncher, the analyst for Daily Maverick. Kaya FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operations Centre for the 2019 national election. Kaya FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice. We're down on the floor at the Results uh, Operations Centre and we're joined by a beaming uh, Patricia DeLille. Oh, the number of times I used to introduce you, Patricia, as the mayor of Cape Town and now it is the leader of the good party and packed and ready to go to Parliament. You're in the National Assembly, aren't you? Yes, I will certainly be going back to Parliament and I'm very humble and grateful 
for every single vote that we receive because it's a victory. We've only started four months ago and we're going to use this as a basis to continue to build uh, for the 2021 elections. Um, I'm looking forward to going back to Parliament. I want to really uh, separate the boys from the men there. I want to break down the toxic masculinity that's there because I think also as women we don't just need to see more female representatives in, in Parliament. We need to see women in leadership. Um, so I've got my mandate now and uh, the one uh, key for me is continue to fight for spatial justice. I think it's an indictment that we've not dealt with our party spatial plan, especially the big towns and cities. So that's going to be one of my key priorities. I've now established a, a corruption desk. I've already received five emails. You know, people still trust me as, as whistleblowers. And so I'm very excited. I haven't been keeping tabs on how you're doing on the provincial list. Um, and, uh, 69,826. So there'll be some representatives in the uh, provincial legislature as well, won't there? Yes, it, it looks like it now with the projections uh, as it is on the board now. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you talk about the issues of special planning, a lot of people would say, well, actually, those are the types of issues that are better tackled at perhaps at the local government level or even at the provincial government level. And now for you going back into the national parliament, you're actually moving further away from the core issues. And of course, not being in a position to then actively influence perhaps, you know, the city of Cape Town, for example, or the city of Johannesburg. How are you going to actually try and ensure that this agenda does actually get elevated in the national discourse? No, not at at all. We believe that all public land must be used for public good. And land is owned by national government, provincial government and local government. And it's an indictment that they are not releasing uh, good parcels of land close by transport to, to build houses and to build density there for our people. I can use national parliament to ask a question. I want a list of all well-located land in all the big towns and cities owned by any of the three spheres of government. And then I will start fighting to get that land released for affordable housing. So um, the, the, the spatial planning, it's right down in all three spheres of government where it can be dealt with. Yeah, and I think, you know, even in the past year, we've been having conversations about land. We already have an act, I think it's called Spluma, which is actually designed yes, to deal with yes. these particular issues. And a lot of people that I engage with don't even know that such an act exists. And yeah. even when they do know that such an act exists, nobody seems to actually know what it is that Spluma is supposed to achieve and where it is in achieving those outcomes. Yeah. So I think the, the pushback that yes, you might get, you people will say that the law is already there. It's a question of implementation. Exactly. You know, the Spatial Land Use Management Act um, came into effect the 1st of June 2015, and I was still the mayor at the time. And if you look at the preamble of that piece of legislation, uh, the intention of the law is to integrate cities, to bring people closer to opportunities. But nobody seems to be following it. Uh, it also established a municipal planning tribunal that must consider all application for land use. And the municipal planning tribunal must also not approve the selling of well-located land to private developers and use that for integrating our cities. So you're right, uh, the legal framework is in place as the lack of political will that's not there.
And my worry, of course, is that with the governing party returning with an even more weakened mandate, I don't know, in some instances, it might then create a sense of urgency on their part to say, well, actually start implementing the laws that have already been written. They are going to struggle to pass any new laws. So it's now going to be a question of whatever it is that you've written in the past, when you had those huge majorities, work on it. Otherwise, in 2024, we might see a very different National Assembly. Most definitely. I think uh, the, the, the voters have spoken. I'm sure the ruling party got the message loud and clear uh, that the patience the patience is running out with all old political parties. It's because of them that our country is in such a mess. And, and unless you see some drastic changes, you see a reduction of the size of the cabinet, you know, we must show some humility as leaders. We can't live in this opulence while there are so many poor people. And certainly if the ANC is now not going to pull up their socks, stop promising, stop lying to people, stop the corruption, the people will deal with them as we can see they dealt with them in the elections now. Patricia, when you are in the National Assembly and you probably will be the lone good party representative there, I realize a lot of the power in Parliament is in those portfolio committees. You, are, you can't spread yourself too thin. Where will you concentrate your, your efforts and energies? Where do you want to be most vocal? Which of, of those portfolio committees would you prioritize? It is not about size. It is about the quality of participation in the National Assembly. Certainly, I will ask all the uncomfortable questions to all the ministers on any issues. And I have been there for 15 years. And all the questions that I've always put in Parliament was, I got it from the people outside. Because we're not in there representing our checkers. We are there inside representing our people. And so I will continue to operate right like that um, so um, the, the number of portfolio committees um, the performance of the portfolio committees over the years they are supposed to have oversight over the executive yes. if they have done their work properly if they've asked the right questions if they've made sure that the policies is implemented that the budgets are spent we're not going to have this uh, mess that we are in, in in the country so the portfolio system needs to be checked up and, and that's where you see with the, 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 the bigger parties, they will have a member of parliament only serving on one committee. But most of the time they are sleeping in there. There are a lot of old recycled politicians there who are just there to, to build up their pension. They're not there for the people. And I certainly will take up any issue related to any portfolio committee while I'm there on behalf of the, the people. We'll have to leave it there then, Patricia. Thank you for the, uh, for the opportunity and, and thank you to, to Kaya. It's an absolute pleasure and, and uh, please keep the channels of communication open. Okay. We'll be talking on different uh, aspects soon, won't we? Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much. That is uh, Patricia DeLille, the leader of the Good Party. Kaya FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operations Centre for the 2019 national election. Kaya FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice. We had Mighty Jamie with us, uh, a political analyst uh, who's come and join us in the studio.
good to have you with us, Pat. Always a pleasure. Always Thank a you pleasure. so much. Um, uh, you were listening in on that, Patricia DeLille interview. Any thoughts on uh, her progress? I think it was inevitable, wasn't it? Y- yes, it was. And I think she actually has a good space to build from this victory because it's just, it's decent enough to get her in the conversation. And she has a wealth of experience. So going back to Parliament on the national stage, there's going to be political moments where a cool head will be needed. There's going to be political moments where she can stand up for women in a very aggressive way. She's going to have a lot of sympathy from the EFF because of her relationship with Mama Winnie. So she's going into a terrain where she'll have a lot of people protecting her, where she can provide institutional knowledge that very few people can have. And we know Mum Pat can actually be very aggressive legislatively as well and also in a litigation perspective because one of the early cases you read in uh, law school is a Patricia DeLille versus uh, Speaker of the House Exactly. Case. Yeah. Exactly. No, she'll be, she'll be making a mark and we know there'll be legal actions brought in the same way Bontu Holomisa was doing it on Absolutely. As the UDM. Uh, we were also talking to Dakota Lechwete from the ANC a little earlier. What I found interesting is we came back into the studio and our technical guys here, Bumlani and Peter, they both said, that guy talks nonsense. Now, it, I felt that he was being as honest as he could under the circumstances because uh, obviously they've taken a thumping, but not as bad a thumping exactly. uh, as they might have. Also, they had their own private poll, which did reflect these exactly. numbers. Yeah. So when Rather said, they're saying it reflected it now because if it turned out that that poll told them they'd be at 70%, they're not going to come out here and say, hey, we did our research, it said we were at 70% and now we're at 57 We wasted our money. Yeah, they're going to say, yes, our internal uh, post told us this. You but I, I think that one of those polls, they did get leaked into the public domain. So d- yeah. we, we, we yeah. know that they're not lying about the fact that they were anticipating that. It's Obviously, they'll be disappointed. Here. I was quite impressed with his, his frankness saying, look, we've taken uh, a bloody nose. He used all sorts of metaphors. We've got to wake up and smell the coffee and yeah. things like that. But... Uh, Last warning. Yeah, the last warning gave us all of those lines. Do you believe that political parties here sold one version of events and got another one? Um, when I think of the DA, for example, yeah. and all the hyperbole. Did they anticipate they'd do this badly? It's true. It's, it's, it's so funny because it's almost like there's a, a game that politicians play from Claudi all the way to Musi to talk about we're winning this particular round, we're going to knock it out of the park, I'm going to be the president come 9 May, etc., etc., when the reality was indicating that there was going to be a little bit of contraction for the DA, that the EFF double figures would be the victory for them. But listening to everybody, it's all, we're going to win, we're going all in, we're going for full throttle, you know what I mean? So I think we do have have this dichotomy of conversation where they'll be very candid with you when pushed as a journalist to say, listen, you don't realistically think you're going to get this kind of percentage. You say, yeah, sure, but when I'm on the campaign trail, I have to have this political rhetoric of victory. But I think we as listeners and viewers and people who are observing these things closely have to always bear in mind that politicians are almost like uh, these these new age pastors who who make you eat snakes and that they (laughs) promise miracles they can't deliver. Well, for me, if I'm looking at these parties down there, we were always anticipating ANCDA, EFF to be amongst the big winners. And then what would be next? Freedom Front Plus, I feel, has come... I was going to say from left field, they don't. They come from the right field, don't exactly. they? They, if you're going to say who are the big winners here, 
while it is a small percentage of the vote, they will increase their membership in Parliament. Freedom Front Plus and the swing by, I'm presuming it's white conservatives to the Freedom Front Plus. That's a, that's going to be one of the, the issues we will remember this election by, do you think? It is. It is because it also shows like that there is a latent conversation that we don't always bring to the fore in our media conversation. This kind of narrative that is pushed by the Afro forums and all of these social media narr- narratives around farm killings being a systemic, deliberate uh, genocide that, that happens. Yeah. Yes, the white genocide as well. So, look, the, the it, mythical white genocide. I do want to make that point. I don't believe it. Absolutely. I, I wanted to say it's, it's it's important to recognize that in terms of absolute numbers, it's a very few people who have really jumped the ship from you know DA if they if that's where they came from. Indeed, you know, or other parties. You know, because we're talking about right now about 150,000 extra people. But when you look at the bigger scheme of things, the Democratic Alliance had four million votes in 2014. So even if they lost 150 to this issue, I don't think that they can then hide whatever contractions they have in their party around the fact that some people found the, you know, the Afro Forum slash Freedom Front Plus discussion points more appealing. So I think uh, there's going to have to be more deeper introspection on the part of the Democratic Alliance. I think from everybody else, it's just, it's useful to note that the kind of divisions that we don't sometimes want to talk about because they're uncomfortable still exist. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had this growth. And we need to be intelligent in how we conversate around inequality, poverty, and of course, land. Yeah. And the longer we hide from these conversations, the more the radical voices, the more the extremists find airtime and subsequently seats in parliament as a result of people with real credible policy alternatives, the boring stuff that nobody wants to read. That's the stuff we need more of in South Africa around this topic. Yeah. It's also in there, Kai? Yeah. And I think you probably need to actually find a way of acknowledging that it's the interesting stuff, it's the important stuff that people find boring and the easy, impossible stuff. That's what people speak about yeah. in the campaign trail. And that is essentially the essence of populism. Now, the reality here is that we have to acknowledge that populism resonates with people. And in a country where there are so many things that simply aren't working, where there are so many underlying tensions and frictions, populism has a role to play. Now, the key question here is, do we then want to take the gamble that in about five or ten years' time, you'll end up with a very populist government simply because you've created and cultivated a society where such things find a foothold? That's really, for me, is the big learning point from this particular electoral campaign. I mean, even when you look at, you know, how the whole Brexit and the Trump phenomenon happened, people sort of missed the idea that actually if people feel disaffected by the status quo and somebody comes and speaks in particular sound bites, that is the person who's speaking to them. And if people yeah. who are, who've got substance and, and, and things of substance to share, then simply say, oh, no, no, the electorate wouldn't understand or they frame it in a way that the electorate doesn't understand, then it's difficult to then justify that, uh, to, to, to expect the electorate to then uh, read beyond the lines and sort of unpack the things that you yourself have unpacked. I mean, one of the great fascinations of this electoral campaign is the ANC on the jobs issue. And they simply said they're going to create 275,000 jobs a year. We all know where Ramaphosa got that number. He got that number from his investment drive. And then he sort of then inserted into the ANC's manifesto. That 275,000 number makes absolutely no difference to the unemployment crisis in South Africa. In fact, it makes it worse because every single year you have more than 275 young people that emerge from the high school environment, try to get access to tertiary education. They can't get it. Try to access the work place and they're not getting in. So the ANC is going to sell 275,000 jobs a year when you already have more than 6 million young people unemployed. It's the ANC that really does believe it will rule until eternity. And we all know what happened to the guy that said that.
Certainly, and just on the the issue of um, of, of, of the uh, the number of people taking part in this poll, I would love to go and find out where it was first reported that um, this was the most eagerly anticipated of elections, because. That became a media narrative. It, it kept, did. It, it and, did. and everybody just borrowed that expression. Nobody yeah. ever, is it really? And, yes. and it, it wasn't really, because you look at this voter turnout. It, it, is, it was actually a very predictable election. And maybe the, the fact that it was so predictable is what led to some lack of excitement. But also there wasn't a Zuma factor, you know, because the last turnout, people really felt like there was something at stake and they had to participate to wherever they fell on the spectrum, either to defend him or to try to remove him a concerted effort. So that, that was part of the factor. But really, I think that we haven't really made a concerted effort to get the youth to actually register to vote. And we come at the end, at the back end of the conversation, you know, just before elections and say, where are the youth? Why haven't they registered? You know, the youth are very digital. The youth are very busy, sometimes with work, sometimes with university commitments. And we haven't made these processes convenient to them. You know, when the millennial generation came in, business had to change to adapt to their needs and expectations but it doesn't look like we have done the same for this new crop of young people who are always on their phones who are struggling with a lot of issues and then we make it seem as if they don't care about elections but that's where a lot of the gap came from because we just didn't have that throughput of what would traditionally be a young energetic voter base we saw some of them at kaya we saw some of them playing soccer on voting day and they were saying no they're not interested. Right. The issues don't speak to them. Everybody's corrupt. But part of it was I didn't have an opportunity to register because there are seven different steps that I need to register. These, this is a generation that struggles to send an email. Why would we anticipate that they would go and go through ten steps to register to vote easily unless we made it easy for them to do? Okay. Auntie Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Kaya FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operation Center. Kaya FM 2019 election. Coverage. The informed choice. The media scrum is around Musi Maimani, it turns out. Uh, he was here yesterday. But uh, we are in conversation with Philip van Staden, who's the deputy chair of the Freedom Front Plus here in Gauteng. And we've been saying how the Freedom Front Plus has emerged as one of the, the big surprises of this election. Philip, good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It, oh, it might be a surprise to most people. Was it a surprise for you? Very much. Uh, when we walk in here yesterday morning and we saw the scoreboards we was very much surprised um, we uh, for people uh, decided to vote for freedom from plus in this election we, pre- we predicted we're going to do very well but not this very well uh, as we do at the moment you know and the numbers keep climbing at the moment you will see that big parts of Gauteng is still outstanding trying to yep. better all those places and that's why our voters uh, traditional voters are currently oh so you think because I'm lo- we're looking at the map of Gauteng yeah, at yeah, the moment yes. and there are large sections that's of Trani right. that are white Trani, Trani 20, sorry, 20 East Rand, West Rand, Johannesburg area, and then uh, I think this is the Fall Druk area. Yeah. yeah now, yes. what you have got, we've got these two big blobs of purple, yes. which is your color there. Yes. Um, that, that is... Uh, the city, the Heidelberg, city. and Merafong. Hi- okay, Heidelberg, that makes yes, sense yes, to me. Yeah. And then what is... The, uh, Merafong city, that's Carlton Vol Fochbol area. Okay, so that's the kind of old mining yes, uh, yes. base there as well. Has that all... That's always been a traditional base for you, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but... The, we look the previous elections they also uh, tend to the deal with their votes they give us their votes on national level and to the deal on provincial level 
Uh, some 2040 they invested for us provincial and for the DA national. Now it's slowly coming to us. Yeah. Um, it's a big shift in the voters' decision taking on the ground level. Well, we did notice in some municipal by elections earlier in the year this yes. move towards the Freedom That's Front right. Plus. Yeah. Those were the early indications that you possibly could do exactly. well. Exactly, yeah. I think it was three, uh, four to five weeks before this election. We had a by election in Mughali City in two wards in one day. And there, since, uh, if you take the number, since 2016 up to that by-election, we grew with 86% in both that wards. Mm. So that was a good indication to show how this uh, election in Gauteng would play out. But like I said, <laughs> we expect, what we expected and what we receive now mm. is amazing. So yeah. where would you say this renewed appetite? So where would you say this renewed appetite for the Freedom Front has come from? Is it simply because you've run a campaign that has spoken to the issues, the current issues of the day that matter to the electorate? Yeah, you're correct. The campaign speaks to the, the daily issues that affect the voters on the ground level. But I think the voters see the Freedom Front Plus. Let's vote for them because they can be a responsible uh, partner in government or government on their own. I think that is where the vote is coming from. Why were people dis- to de- decided to vote for Freedom Front Plus in this election? Yeah, and I, I think obviously, you know, the growth is probably a lot of people didn't even expect it and probably yeah. a lot of people didn't even, even see your campaign yes. out there. What would you say are the core issues that obviously this new, renewed, and much bigger Freedom Front is going to be championing well, in the Sixth uh, Parliament? You must know, especially in Gauteng, where uh, everything uh, is not going well in Gauteng. It's actually very bad. Infrastructure is collapsing. The education system is busy collapsing uh, the hospital system the health system has, has co- uh, totally collapsed in Gauteng and I think that that was uh, uh, and uh, housing delivery is also a problem in Gauteng and, but the countrywide also all these factors I mentioned now um, and in Gauteng especially we have tackled these issues the past five years with full force I was the only member in the Gauteng legislature uh, for the Freedom Front Plus it's very lonely I can tell you it's not sure. <laughs> but the fight was fine and I think the voters realized listen these guys are here to do business let's give our votes to them yeah and I think uh, David you carry on your question Kaya <laughs> so and, uh, I was actually just saying, I think for us and for a whole lot of other political parties, there's also the issue around voter turnout. And in that once you've actually identified your constituency, yes. getting them to come and vote on the That's day right. is very important. I'm seeing the ANC's disaster in KZN yes. where suddenly it looks like the ANC is losing support. But yes. the people just didn't go to the vote. Exactly. And you'd have thought after 2016, you know, people would have learned that if your people do not show up on the day, you are going to lose. Exactly. Listen, if you want to be in this game, you must activate your own supporters plus the new ones you want the extra votes as well the main uh, lesson to learn here and I think that's where we have scored all the way is go back to the ground level and go and talk to the voters what they want uh, specify their needs what they uh, identify the needs they want uh, tackle those issues run on those issues and you will get the results at the end with, of the day. with that percentage of 3.95 yes. it may well, and it may well go up because there's so much still to come yeah. how many members of the provincial currently on, on this figure we currently have now two permanent seats um, if it go up to 100,000, which can happen in the next half an hour, we will have three seats plus a representative to the National Council of Provinces. Now, that does mean that that's a, a bit of a, a voting block. Should you need to align yourself with another political party, where do you see allegiances more naturally lying for uh, well, you? Well, if you're talking coalitions now... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, t- I'm, talking, I'm talking more alliances than coalitions. No, what look, do you want to call them, Philip? Look, look let's, let's wait till all the numbers is out and then we can go to that discussion. Okay. 
Okay, and, and nationally, obviously, you'll be delighted with the number that you've got there yeah. as well. I'm trying to find exactly. out the 326,000. So not only in Gauteng, there are yes. other areas where you've done significantly well. Right. Do you feel you've, it's all the DA that you're taking all from the DA? No, it's not only from the DA. It's big chunks from the DA. That, can, that is for sure. But I think from other smaller parties, also like COPE or ACDP or so, they should have been votes that come over to us. But I think the majority is, is, is easier as it's is from the DA. So. Your, your party slogan was slant terug, and I always yeah. wondered what we were slanting terug against. <laughs> Fight back, hit back. Yeah. Against what? Against everything what was going wrong in South Africa. Against corruption, against crime, against the irritating of a, of a health system, the infrastructure system, the education system. It was not a... a, a, a when we start with a slogan, the ANC say, ah, but we're calling for war. That's yeah. not what we've done. Mm-hmm. We've said, let's fight back against a corrupt government, corruption, crime, etc., etc. And that's exactly what we're going to do now. Okay, Philip, uh, thank you very much for thank your you time. Very much. Well done on the election results well, for Freedom Front Plus. Appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. That's a man who's got a couple of colleagues joining him in the Gauteng legislature, the deputy chair of the Freedom Front Plus here in Gauteng. That's Philip van Staden. Kalia FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operations Center. Kalia FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice.